everyone, and thank you for tuning in to LearnCast. My name is Sriporna, and joining me today is Kai. Hi. Today we'll be discussing the American and French revolutions. So we'll start with the American Revolution, um, and you know, what better place to start than the background. So uh, we're actually going to start with France and Britain. And uh, what was happening was the uh, Seven Years' War, or the French and Indian War, um, basically a colonial war between France and Britain. And um, Britain did win the war, but it ended up placing both Britain and France in a lot of debt. Um, and we'll cover the effects of the of the British debt here, and then it'll oh. actually, the French debt. We'll it'll tie into the French Revolution later. Yeah. Okay, um, basically, it's important to note at this that before the French, the French and Indian War or the Seven Years' War, even though it's actually nine years, that's very annoying. <laughs> anyway, so it's before that, um, the colonies were actually treated by Britain in what's called solitary neglect. They were kind of just like left to do their own thing as long as they still like, they're still mercantilist colonies and still like, you know, get got Britain money. Britain didn't really care otherwise. Um, and also the Enlightenment, which is a pretty big deal around this point in time, which basically uh, circulated ideas like, um, popular sovereignty, which is like the people ruling the government, and other ideas like unalienable rights, and for example, think like John Locke, Voltaire, uh, Montesquieu, etc. So it's important to know that these ideas were circulating around Europe and America, and that they both, and that they influenced both the American Revolution and the French Revolution. Yeah. So after the war, um, there was a lot of tension, uh, again, um, a lot of debt uh, that the British had, um, and the, their solution to this was to tax the colonies, um, and obviously the colonies weren't really used to this because, again, the salutary neglect, they were kind of just doing their own thing, um, and the British were not really super into what they were doing. Yeah. Um, so all this taxation was just kind of like really surprising and um, very new to them, and they did not appreciate that. And then, again, also a lot of enlightenment ideas circulating around. So um, the taxes and the ideas um, were all kind of like contributing to the tensions between the British and the colonies. And it's also important to note that the, the colonists' main issue with the tax with the taxes is that they didn't have any say in the government, in the British government, and how they did this. Yeah, they, that's the whole no yeah. taxation without representation. Yeah, you've probably heard that a lot of time, <laughs> a lot by now, but um, it's important to note that that was the main reason why they had an issue with it. And also, they weren't even getting taxed that much. Like, it's like one or two percent, I think. So um, like compared to now, of course, it's that sounds like amazing, you know, to have that little tax. But yeah. for them, it was a big change, and they were not okay with it. Um, okay, so with all these tensions and stuff, the revolution actually kind of started. Um, there's the first, the first battle is the Battle of Lexington, which is in 1775. It's also kind of known as like the shot heard around the world, or like the first shot of the revolution. Um, and basically, it was just a standoff between the colonials and the British. Um, and also, at this time, uh, two main factions in America began to emerge, the Patriots versus the Loyalists. The Patriots were the revolutionaries, and the Loyalists were those who wanted to just stay with Britain. Yeah, and there were also neutralists, so the Patriots made up a third of the people, the Loyalists made up a third, and then there were neutralists who made, also made up a third, um, and they didn't really pick a side, they were just neutral, as the name says. Yes, um, and then also the Continental Congress started meeting around this time, which is basically like a proto version of our current Congress. Um, and basically they were sending urgent messages back to King George III asking for a diplomatic end because they didn't want to actually deal with the whole war. You know, they like they only had so much money too. And also I think they thought rightfully so that Britain would probably win. 
uh, a war like that, so they wanted to just try to diplomatically end this. So with the revolution beginning, again, British had the British had the better odds. Um, they were the bigger, more powerful country. They had a lot more money, a lot more resources, and a lot more troops. And the Patriots were just kind of like this ragtag bunch. And even then, the Patriots were the Patriots were only a third of the colonists. They were also loyalists and neutralists, so they weren't even the majority. So um, yeah, no one was really expecting the Patriots to do that well. Um, and it's also important to note that around this time, George Washington was appointed the general of the Continental Army, which was the first time that they were trying to actually form a real army for the col- for the colonies. Because yeah. before that, they were most like state or like yeah. colonial militias. It was militias. like the Minutemen. Kind yeah, of. like the yeah. Minutemen who kind of were just there to defend their own colonies, and they never like worked together as like to try to make it like a whole country. Yeah. So this was like a big step for the Patriots. Um, and then also, Congress was uh, very poor. Um, and that's important to note because uh, it's kind of funny. Uh, the Patriots were fighting the British because they were they did not appreciate being taxed so taxed so much. So um, the Congress didn't really have the power to tax the colonists either because it was kind of like, well, if you're fighting against taxation, then why are you taxing again? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Congress didn't really have the power to tax the colonists, um, and therefore they didn't really have a lot of money. So this just contributed to the hardships that the Patriots faced. So, like I said, or like we both said, there were definitely a lot of hardships that the Patriots had to fight against. However, there were a few advantages that ended up being really important in the revolution. So for one, they were on their own turf, which means that it was easier for them to like set up traps and maybe like just overall make real plans because they, they knew the territory themselves, right? And to go along with this, the Britain the Brits obviously didn't know the territory because they were British, and so um, they were not only didn't know the territory as well, but also for supplies and, and such, they would have to, it was like a three month trip just one way from Britain to uh, America or vice versa, so six months total to like round trip, you know, to get supplies and stuff, and that was obviously a big deal because- And that's like on a good day, or yeah. like a good six months. Yeah, that was on a good trip where like nothing bad happened. So it was very difficult for them to get supplies easily and quickly, um, unless they were going to try to set up supply lines within the colonies. And lastly, and honestly the most important, is the Americans had a real cost to fight for. They were fighting for their liberty, you know, their their own independence. Whereas the British soldiers, at the very least, were kind of just like doing what the king told them to do. They didn't have like a real attachment to the cause of the fight. Yeah. So, um, again, the Americans had a lot, the Patriots had a lot going against them, and they had a couple advantages, um, but the real, like, major turning point was the Battle of Saratoga. Um, and this was a major battle, um, because not only did the Americans, the Patriots, win the battle, but it also convinced the French to join in on the Patriots' side. So, the French, like, what, like, they had all these resources, they had money, they had troops and things like that. So obviously a very big deal for the Patriots um, that this like major country is now joining their side. And also it's important to note that the French like really did not like the British, like they would really have taken any reason to fight the British. Um, and again, this contributes to the French Revolution later on. And for several reasons, but also <laughs> it's important to note that the like the main reason why they were fighting is just because they wanted to spite the British. They yeah. didn't really have like a reason the, yeah like the monarchy especially the french monarchy wasn't really like interested in their actual cause for the fight however it's important to note that all these french soldiers are going to america learning about liberty and stuff 
you know, they're going to bring those back. they're going to bring those ideas back with them, and that's definitely going to be a contributing factor to the to the French Revolution. Yeah. So, Battle of Saratoga, super important turning point of the war. And then there's the Battle of Yorktown. Um, and this one's definitely a big deal because it marks the end of the revolution. The Patriots have won. The colonies are independent from Britain. Um, and then this is just further solidified by the Treaty of Paris, 1783, because there's a bunch of the treaties, treaties of Paris. Yeah. Um, and also for the Battle of Yorktown, there's a great song in Hamilton about it. If you, if you just want like an easy way to memorize stuff about it. Highly recommend. Um, and finally, some effects of the revolution were that there was like freedom and liberty supposedly for all, but let's just think of that as an asterisk. And then the asterisk really means for white propertied men. And basically that that entails only men who were white who had property. Yeah. It wasn't a, a huge a huge part of the population. However, it was a step in the right direction because more people definitely had rights and were able to vote and be a part of the government. Yeah, that whole idea of like unalienable rights is super important, and it started like circulating here and then in the Constitution from the, from the Enlightenment. Yeah, um, and so it was like in the Bill of Rights in the Constitution. That's what our Bill of Rights is. It's like the unalienable rights, unalienable rights. And again, it really only applied to white property men for the time being, um, but it was a step in the right direction. More people had rights, um, and it was things like you know the freedom of speech, um, the freedom like liberty, things like that. So, yeah. Um, and then the Articles of Confederation were formed, and this was like kind of the colony's first attempt to govern themselves in a way, um, but they did not really work. They fell through. It was not good. But then uh, the Constitution and the Bill of Rights were written, and um, that was not a failure because they're still here today. Yeah, I mean, you know, its relative longevity is indicative of it kind of working at least. Yeah, so... We have the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. Yeah. yeah, that sounds good. Now, why don't we talk about the French Revolution, or as the French call it, La Révolution Française? And yes, I will be talking in a French accent for the names and such. <laughs> so annoying. <laughs> anyway, um, we'll start with the background. Yeah. So s similar kind of background to the American Revolution, the Seven Years' War, which, you, which is actually nine years, um, which we already kind of covered. But basically, it left both the Brits and the French in debt. We already talked about the British debt. Now we're going to talk about the French debt. Both of them, both countries try to solve it by taxing their citizens more. However, unlike like that, <laughs> yeah, and obviously nobody liked that except for the the um, the monarchies. Yeah. But basically, the French monarchy tried to tax the actual citizens of France of France and not like their colonies, even though they really could have just done that, even though they lost most of their colonies. <laughs> yeah, that was a whole separate thing. Um, anyways, uh, they had debt from other from other issues too. So they were like really heavily in debt. Um, also the enlightenment ideas like we talked about before were circulating around, especially because of the American revolution. So it was already kind of like in the citizens heads about liberty and maybe like trying something new besides just monarchy. And it's also a very important thing to note at this time is that the French state and like the population in general was split into three groups as three estates is what they're called. The first one is le clergé or the clergy, which is like the church, especially the Catholic church specifically. Um, the second is the is la noblesse or the nobility. This included the king and the queen, his family, and like basically the top rich nobles, like his advisors, etc. Um, and then there's a third estate, which is like everyone else <laughs> in the population. And keep in mind, the clergy and the nobility to in total account for about 2%, 2 of the population. So... When, I, when we say everyone else, it's true. Like, Literally everyone, everyone else. else. Yeah. Um, 
And so they, there were like three main uh, classes within the third estate. There was the peasants, uh, which were the poorest, and they're mostly farmers. There was the artisans. Fancy French term. No, it's or peasants, if you will. But yeah, <laughs> this is just the French name for peasant. Um, and then there were the artisans who were a bit better off than the peasants, but still pretty like lower class. And they were more like like skilled workers, like carpenters or sometimes doctors and lawyers. Um, and then the bourgeoisie, not the Marxist bourgeoisie, not we're not there yet, but they were basically the town, the, the townspeople. Um, and they were generally, by far, at least the most well-off of the third estate. And uh, they, they were like educated, they could read and they could write, which was pretty uncommon back then. Um, and they were definitely like the, just the most well-off of the third estate. However, they, especially the bourgeoisie, but really the third estate in general, were really mad that they didn't have any political power within the French government, which, because it fell to mostly the nobility and some, and in some ways the clergy. Yeah. Um, so they were like, they made up pretty much the entirety of the tax base of France, even though they didn't get any political power or any say in how taxes were used and whether they were taxed at all. Yeah, so to elaborate on that whole thing where the third estate didn't have any political power, um, basically, so there was the estates general and the three estates made up the estates general. Um, so since there were three estates, each estate got one vote. Um, there was the clergy who had one vote, the, no the nobles who had one, one vote, and the third estate which had one vote. Um, and typically, um, a lot of the times the nobles and the clergy's um, like ideals would align and they would generally vote together. So um, if they voted like one way for like taxation uh, and the third estate voted another way, obviously the third estate would be outvoted um, because it's, it was two to one. And so this would happen all the time. So that's how a lot of the political power that the third estate supposedly had um, was taken away just because they were constantly outvoted. Yeah. And it was really unfair because the third estate made up the majority of the population. So 2% of the population was getting two votes and the rest of it, the 98% was getting one vote. Um, so that was definitely um, a state of like outrage basically. Um, so because of this, the third estate went off and formed their own thing, the National Assembly. Um, and they basically just like vowed to help make the laws uh, of France and like they would be fair and they would benefit the third estate. Um, and King Louis XVI did not like this, so he ordered them to disband, which they did not do. Um, and they were actually really dramatic about it, but um, they went to a tennis court. Uh, places. <laughs> yeah. A tennis court and they took an oath to um basically to fight for their liberty yeah uh, and they claimed the absolute right to make laws in france um and it's called the tennis court oath so very easy to remember um they took an oath and a tennis court tennis court oath <laughs> but yeah okay another new point within the revolution is um it was much more radical and violent than the uh, american revolution like obviously there was fighting and war in both but the French people were not playing around. <laughs> For example, um, they stormed the Bastille, which is basically a, a, which is a, a, a government, a French government military fort. And they also housed some mentally insane type people and also some nobles who just kind of parted Party too nobles. hard. <laughs> um, but yeah, there are some rumors spread around that there were actually like revolutionary people uh, who were like imprisoned within it. And so the revolutionaries uh, stormed it and it was obviously a very big deal like i mean it's 
there's a reason that there's an entire holiday for it, like the Bastille Day, even though July fourteenth. Yes, even though it like really didn't have any real impact except for making, except for just raising tensions um, within between the government and the revolutionaries. Uh, another thing to mention is that women had a much more like important and just in general like bigger role in the French Revolution than they did in the American Revolution. So the women were just as mad, if not more mad than the men. Um, and they, for example, one of the biggest problems is that they couldn't they couldn't even buy bread, which is like their main form of sustenance. Um, and so because of that, they were so mad that they basically decided to march all the way to Versailles, which is a pretty good distance away from Paris. Um, which is where most of the revolutionaries were. Um, and so they marched all the way to the Palace of Versailles, Versailles which is where King, the king and Marie Antoinette were staying, um, or have been staying at the very least. Um, and they basically stormed the, the palace and were looking for bread, and then eventually tried to look for Marie Antoinette to probably behead her. <laughs> yeah, behead her. Um, they were really, really keen on beheading people. <laughs> uh, and basically, they didn't end up finding Marie Antoinette, but they did force the king and the queen, like through this entire process, to move back to Paris. Um, uh, and to the Tuileries Palace. Yes. And both the storming of the Bastille and the march to Versailles happened around 1789. And then two years later, the king and queen were finally like, okay, we can't do this. We have to, we have to leave the country and we have to like gather people to help us fight against the, the revolutionaries. So they decide to try and leave France. Um, in what is known as the flight to, flight to Berlin. However, they were not very smart about this. <laughs> they did they disguised themselves as diplomats, but it was incredibly bad disguises. And the peasants and the third estate in general saw right through this. And basically, like with that, when they found out that the monarchy was leaving, they lost all their faith. And that was like the real time when they're like, "There's no going back." Like, yeah, you know, we can't trust them anymore. Also, fun fact: the Tuileries Palace is uh, the Louvre today. Um, so yeah, cool museum. Um, but anyway, um, so ra- uh, around this time, the Declaration of the Rights of Man and Citizen was written and established. Um, and like as you can tell by the name, uh, it was declared like what the rights of um, men and citizen were. And again, really mainly applied to white property men. But it was a step in the right direction, I guess. I think kind of like the Declaration of Independence, and also a little bit of the Constitution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it was really like based off a bit of like what the Americans were doing in the colonies over there too. So yeah, a lot of inspiration is taken from that. And then there was the trial of citizen Louis Capet. So basically Louis the Sixteenth um, was tried for treason against France. Um, and yeah, he was yes, and he was called citizen because um, at this time they the French were like so done with the monarchy that they didn't even want titles anymore, so they called everyone a citizen regardless of their the power that they had. They kind of like the held. whole comrade thing. <laughs> yeah, in Soviet Russia. Kind of. um, and so he was just called citizen Louis Capet. It was kind of like... It took away his power, kind of like he's yes. not the king, he's our equal, yes. basically. Uh, he's just another citizen of France. So yeah, Louis, Cap- Louis Capet... <laughs> was um, tried and he was convicted of treason against France and then he was guillotined and so was like Marie Antoinette and like the rest of his family around this time. Um, And also fun fact, the guy who invented the guillotine was named Guillotine and he was guillotined so like guillotine got guillotined. (laughs) Very fitting, very fitting. They were very keen on the whole guillotining. Um, So remember the radicalization? That doesn't stop after King Louis dies. in fact, if 
In fact, you might say that it just got worse. So the Committee of Public Safety was basically developed as an, kind of an interim government um, after the death of the king and queen. And basically this one uh, committee had pretty much the entirety of the governmental power in France. They were, uh, they controlled the military, the courts, and most legislation. So they were pretty much like the government. Um, and they were led by Maximilien Robespierre, which they, who basically uh, was kind of insane, you could say. <laughs> um, and the committee overall implements the levée en masse, which basically means that every man must join the war effort, or they must like actually fight in the war. And then the women and children were supposed to cook and make supplies and work in factories to produce stuff for the war. So he made everyone join in the war in one way or another. It was another. like a really, really big war draft. And it's important to know that the Committee of Public Safety ruled for about a year um, overall, and this this year is known as the Reign of Terror uh, because Robespierre was incredibly uh, terrorizing. He was like paranoid, it seems. Yeah. And he basically tried to, like, he thought that there were a bunch of people within France that were working against him, and so it led to like a huge terror where he basically would um, guillotine anybody who he thought was working against him. And we mean anybody, like 17,000 people were executed in this one year alone. Yeah, so... Um, and eventually, the, the French people got fed up with this, of course, as they should, um, and he was guillotined. Yeah, yeah very understandable. <laughs> he was guillotined, another fitting end to such a person, and he was done with. <laughs> yeah. So, um, after this, uh, the first French Republic was actually, actually established, um, and they had a whole constitution, and it was in the year of three. Um, this may sound a little weird, but um, the, when they established the Republic, they kind of just wanted absolutely nothing to do with the monarchy or anything with that like previously. So they started from the beginning, like literally they started from year one. Um, this was actually 1795 because again, that whole starting again didn't really last that long. So 1795, um, Which or is the year three. Yeah, the year three. Uh, and that was when the first French Republic was established. Um, fun fact, the French are actually on their fifth Republic right now, so they do a lot of revolution things, I guess. Revolting. <laughs> they yeah. really like that. Yeah. And then, um, there's, again, like a lot of revolting still. Um, the royal, there's still a lot of fighting between the Royalists and the French Revolutionaries, and, you know, along comes Napoleon. Um, he's on the side of the French Revolutionaries, um, and this kind of is... Uh, what kind of leads to his rise in power um, and then eventually his dictatorship in France. Um, and we're going to stop there because, yeah. So, okay, finally, some impacts of the French Revolution. So this overall it led to a lot of French nationalism. I mean, nationalism is becoming a big thing pretty much like around Europe and America everywhere, but, but in France specifically, it was a pretty big deal. Um, you know, people were proud to be French. They just weren't proud of the monarchy. They wanted to be yeah. the government, but they still liked France. Um, and then also before Napoleon, really, uh, there was a lot of there's a lot of uh, public politics. Like before, like with the monarchy, the, you know, the Third Estate didn't have any political power, right? They didn't even really have like political affiliations, if you could say, because it was only really the nobility and maybe sometimes the church who were weighing in on politics. Um, but now they were able to actually like affiliate with maybe a political party and have like political clubs and fun fact the women also tried to do this and then and advocate for women's rights and then they were immediately shut down by every apparently like all the men so love that for us but uh you know step in the right direction overall uh, 
with all the rights. And also, the state replaced um, the state replaced the Catholic Church as the institution that was recording births and deaths and marriages. So kind of like decreased the importance of the Catholic Church at least a little bit in the state because yeah. they were a very very important institution. They were in like France. heavily established in a lot of Europe and especially yeah. France. Yes, um, but Napoleon also still tried to like remain like distance. He distanced themselves, but also still kept them within France and, like, as yeah. an important part because, because they still had a lot of power in France. So yes. it'd be like a very bad idea politically to just kind of turn the church away. Yeah. However, he did institute freedom of religion. At least, if you were like, you could be Catholic, Protestant, or Jewish. That was your three options. But <laughs> look again, a step in the right direction. Um, and that those are pretty much the main uh, impacts of the revolution. And overall, both the French and American revolutions caused like huge changes in the power balance between the monarchies and the ruling governments um, and its citizens. Of course, like a lot of independence, and it led to more democratic and republican reform and republic, not republican, republic reforms uh, throughout America and Europe. And really was like a influenced, yeah, influenced many other revolutions to come. For example, the Haitian Revolution, and was in general a huge turning point in really global society. So thank you for joining us today for our review of the American and French revolutions. Be sure to follow us on Spotify to stay up to date with the latest releases. Until next time, listen, learn, repeat.